Hey, I just want to share this great review we got from L. Schubert. I have been craving this kind of conversation, exclamation point. I grew up in a conservative Christian environment and was taught you must wait until marriage to have sex. As a 30-year-old woman who still considers herself a Christian but isn't married and doesn't believe it's a sin, quote-unquote, to have sex before marriage, although I still haven't had intercourse yet, this conversation is important. I've been working on finding the intersection of my sexuality and faith, along with still craving intimacy on all levels while in the dating world, and also wanting to be the healthiest person I can on all accounts. Way to go. These combos have been life-giving to me. Thank you. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for this review. And if you can, leave reviews because it helps our algorithm. (laughs) She's like, what are these words? (laughs) She looked at Luke and said, algorithm. <laughs> you she's can't handle the, it. She's got the brain hands up. Yeah, that's it's it. perfect. That's good. So we're going to cut right there. Okay. Yeah, I'm probably going to want to sing that song and start the episode that I just wrote. <laughs> Kevin Costner and me. Did you, did, you, <laughs> did you have a direction, Becky, that you wanted to go? I don't have a specific direction other than I would like for us to re, in some way revisit Desire okay. just a little bit. I did have a, a question this okay. morning that I thought could be just a fun place for us to start. Well, that's good. Aphrodisiacs. Yeah, mm. Luke. Nice work. <laughs> Ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect that from you. From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your host, Becky Patton, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Latifa Alatas. Fun Parts! Let's talk about like things that set the mood. Mm. And maybe what are some of those things for y'all? Becky's face right now. She's like, I have a running list. <laughs> My husband just surprised us last night mm-hmm. and showed up where we're recording, rode his motorcycle up. And his leather and chaps. And he walked oh, in man. with his leather chaps on and I was like, <gasps> It'd have been great if he had something on besides that. Yes. <laughs> that I was fine with the fact that there was nothing. Just, I just want to be clear. It was weird. The way you kept trying to get Alan to put them on, though. I know. I I thought I was being subtle, and apparently I wasn't. Well, subtle would be asking, but like trying to force them on was very uncomfortable for all of us. It did not happen. No, No, it did not happen. There was no consent. Everything is appropriate here. But, you know, there's, for me, honestly, I've had a lot of sex over the last four years. I mean, really, to be honest with you. I thought you were going to say 24 hours. (laughs) (laughs) The last 24 hours. It came up in 12 hours. That that hasn't hasn't even been 12 hours. But there's, Mm. but the, but I, I have had a lot. So I think there's different seasons and there's different things that you long for. And I want to say the season that I'm in now is such a sweet season because it's like, there's kind of not much that, I mean, when I look at him and he, like, he's out with his chainsaw and I can sit and just watch him do his chainsaw and I'm like, amazing. I get to go to bed with that. You know, I mean, not like the chainsaw, I'm, not the chainsaw. <laughs> or, you know, like when he swings an axe and he, although that's not a bad nickname, not like, the chainsaw. The chainsaw. Oh, the the chainsaw. chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a new one. Yeah. But I think that what attracts me most, I mean, right now, an aphrodisiac for me is just presence. Like he's mm-hmm. real, when he's, oh, when he goes out and he starts chopping wood mm-hmm. and just swinging that axe and he comes back in, he's got a glow about him. He's just accomplished something. I mean, he's 
he works in a field that is very, you know, it's finance. And so it's numbers and all this stuff like this. And when he goes out and does something rugged like that, it's like, oh, I can hardly wait to get my hands on him or just touch him or be near him. And so it's, mm. but he's so in his body in that way. And mm. I, and I think that's very, in this season of life for me, I mean, put him in an apron in the kitchen like, Same that's thing. why I keep looking at Alan. I keep saying, Alan, I love your apron. Alan is Ashley's husband, but I... You I, love the apron. Oh, I love a man in an apron. Alan's married? Yeah. Oh. Alan, he has, sorry, he's taken, He Steve. wasn't just the personal <laughs> chef. Yeah. Shoot. But it, it's stuff like that that is like actions. It's being... And that, to me, is erotic. Hmm. When I think what you're saying, too, is something where you get to see your person, like, enter and be fully themselves. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't... It's not dependent on you... There's nothing you're doing. It's like, it's just seeing them embody. That's because we've established Alan's in good shape. He does triathlons and stuff. And just yeah. to see him get to do that, like he's so, it brings him so much joy to do that. Mm -hmm. Like it really does. And so mm -hmm. that's something that like draws me to him in that mm -hmm. way. And I have no desire to participate in triathlons. But so I just think there's something about, I remember an Esther Perel mm -hmm. interview where she talked about that, where it was like, the amount that you feel comfortable in your own body and feel confident will affect how your partner responds to you. You know, like you can't expect your partner to make you feel desirable. Mm -hmm. You need to feel you desirable. Need to own you need to own it yourself. Yeah. So I if just... you're feeling low, you know, like it's going to impact that. And it was just such a shift for me because I remember being in a season of like kind of like graspy mm -hmm. towards him or whatever. And it was like. I was, I've had those yeah. seasons. Yeah. I want something else to define yeah. that I'm sexy. And it's yeah. like damn, I'm, I'm hot. Yeah. I'm going to take this body to something. Yeah. I mean, mm. I can just own that. It's, mm. I mean, and I don't have a flat stomach. Believe me, I don't. I don't have the typical what women would call hot, but I own that mm -hmm. I have something that I bring to this relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, and, even, and not even just physical, but also like how you're feeling in work or whatever. Like you mm -hmm. can just kind of get into your head of like, I'm not feeling like I'm enough, you know? Yeah. And so mm -hmm. just taking that time to step back and go like, I need to take care of me so mm -hmm. I can show up in a way that isn't trying to like ask more of this person than what they can. It's not their job. It's yeah. not their job. Yeah. And so. it frees them up to get to be who they are. Yeah. I, can I read a quote? Cause Please, I, yeah. you know, I'm constantly gathering quotes about sex. Um, <laughs> constantly. Yeah, I am. That's everywhere I'm looking. Okay. Key to great sex in a committed relationship is the deep emotional connection mm. that says, I see you. Mm. Even when you're not there. And who are you quoting? Luke Bronner. Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Steven Snyder. Steven Snyder. Okay. Yeah. And he wrote the book that you've mentioned a couple yes, times. Yes, I have mentioned a couple times. Yeah. Because that's one of the things I want to say above all else is we're not trying to be experts about anything. I'm not an expert on this. It's just, you guys, this is what I wake up thinking about because I so long for people to experience something that's radically different than what culture is offering. Mm. I, I just think that there is deep spiritual and emotional and physical connection that can be joyous and it can be held and owned. And I literally, that's where my brain goes. And that's why I'm fighting for that for people. Mm. That doesn't make me an expert. That just makes me incredibly singularly focused. So I love the idea of kind of what you guys are saying. And, and I agree from my own experience. Like I think it's beautiful if there's like oils or candles or meals or lingerie or whatever it is that helps to further the intent of your connection with your partner and it's something you both enjoy. But for me, in my experience, I've learned that those things are great, 
but they are meaningless if we're both not coming to the table embodied in ourselves Mm -hmm. and wanting to be present with one another. So those other things can definitely like be fun, maybe enhance your sense of smell Mm -hmm. or touch. And that's all exciting. Like you talked about feather dusters. (laughs) (laughs) And blindfolds. And blindfolds. Uh, Just every every couple should experience it. Yeah. But like, so there's these things that like, and I know people talk about like oysters being aphrodisiacs. I mean, I don't know. I like oysters. I've never like had (laughs) sex after eating oysters. Yes, thank you. Yeah, but (laughs) I have. I believe you. But like, <laughs> but, but can you make the connection? Sometimes I just really wonder. You're like, yeah. I had strawberries and then I just couldn't, you know, I had to have no, strawberries. You, you know can't. what I mean? No, 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 no. You can't. Sometimes you're like, no. They've so done I, all kinds sorry. of studies. Yeah, it no. just, to me, it all comes back to those things that we refer to as aphrodisiacs. To me, they're just about enhancing what's already existing. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make anything come out of thin air. That's actually really good, especially in a conversation about desire to say that like, mm-hmm the actual aphrodisiac is intention. And so, mm-hmm. and, and like Presence. intentionality of saying, yeah, maybe it's oysters because you intend. It's a part of the intention of how we're yeah. going to connect is and we're going to share these. Be and, present with one another. And oysters at the core, I think part of it is they are, they're kind of this thing where you have to, you slurp. It's, it's sensual. It's very sensual. That it's very, very <laughs> to sensual. To eat them. To eat yeah. them. I mean, but I it's can go. It's another good band name though, sensual <laughs> oyster. Right, yeah. but I had a girlfriend that I went out for oysters with before COVID. You know, my, yeah. my kind of my last meal out before COVID, and I remember they had a special on them because they were closing the next day, so they had to use everything oh. up. So, and it's, they make we had oysters, oysters together. We did. They were so good. This is yeah, same place, same place. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were so good. So we're having these oysters, and I remember having a very sensuous engagement with my friend just because we're. Oh, just tasting them and we're feeling them. it together. So I can see why oysters are seen as an aphrodisiac, but maybe it's because they get us into another sense besides our sight. Ooh, interesting. That's, that's funny. For me, it would that's be like oysters would be an aphrodisiac if nausea is an aphrodisiac. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. you have Hearing to like describe. oysters. It's definitely though. getting into your body. But yeah. yeah. I do enjoy like oils, but I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know if it's sage, but it's S-A-J-E. It's based out of California. They have a tantric oil that just, mm-hmm. it just honestly, they source really good essential oils and it's, it just smells awesome and mm-hmm. it feels really good and it feels good afterwards. Like you don't feel greasy and it's just nice for massage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll do it on myself. Like yeah. it's just a very aromatic, pleasing, not a weird residue. So I'd recommend that. What smell does so often is it registers where we don't have language with it. Mm. And so therefore, one of the things that's really important is to notice like one of the aphrodisiac scents that they say are oranges and apple pie. Huh. Well, I mean. Comfort. But okay, right. <laughs> yeah. Because those may bring comfort. But I want to say at a very early age, what most people had on the kitchen table at breakfast was. Oranges. Orange juice. Mm. And so, I mean, I'm just looking at the logistics of it. I'm thinking, so orange juice has the sense of I'm waking up in the morning mm. before I'm getting ready to maybe as a kid go off to school or whatever. Mm. There's, I have this sweet sensation of connection to comfort. Apple pie, I mean, the sa- our cinnamon is another one. Yeah. And part of it is I want to say our sense, all of our senses present in lovemaking create something that we have more. And I just think there's something beautiful about recognizing what scents are good for us and what scents aren't bad for us. I mean, I have a client that literally you works- You mean good for us or not good for us? Or not good. what I say? You, you said, said good, good for us or, or not bad. bad for us. So positive. Oh, I'm trying to be positive. But I have a client who literally 
She works in a hard field where she views a lot of hard things mm -hmm. in her job. And she's found that she cuts a lemon in half and puts it on her desk when she's working on oh, these things. And so when she's processing these things, it doesn't impact her in a traumatic way. That's cool. So she's found a scent that is really good for her. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how brilliant is that? But that mm -hmm. took work for her to do it, took risk. It takes mm -hmm. intention. She has to bring the fresh. I mean, those things like that, you notice, mm -hmm. that's just an important thing to yeah. notice. Scent mm -hmm. is a huge part. I want to say not of it, maybe an aphrodisiac, but is it actually more about awareness and presence? I will say like because of COVID, neither like my partner and I are really wearing scents that often just because mm -hmm. we're not going out, but occasionally. Well, who's he'll, wearing makeup? I know. He'll <laughs> occasionally put on his scent or even his deodorant has like a earth's musk to mm -hmm. it that I really like. And I mean, I get a whiff of that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, you smell delicious. <laughs> oh, earth Let musk, me take a guys. bite of that. Yeah. Earth musk. Earth musk. <laughs> I don't know, it's not our thing. Oh, what about you, Steve? Is there anything that you enjoy that sets the scene? Yeah. Well, a couple of things came to mind and I felt some shame, like a visual, I'm a man and it's visual, but there are some, right? No that's shame. okay, right? No, no. That's I, one of your senses. I like yeah. to see things that are okay. amazing and beautiful. I just didn't want to be too much of a trope, but. <laughs> <laughs> trope. When Mary puts on one of my like button down shirts. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. Oh man. That's I mean, awesome. like that's it. And then from a touch standpoint, I really appreciate gentle touch. Like mm. if Mary sits behind me, I'm on the floor, maybe she's on the couch and then mm. she just takes her fingers and lightly mm. rubs them on my head. I love that. I just melt and I just get so relaxed. And it's, I think for me, I'm such a doer and a achiever, a three in the Enneagram and I'm sort of addicted to movement and moving. So it's very hard for me to drop down into my body. And mm. so when Mary takes the time to mm. do that, it's like she's saying, you can just be, you don't have to do mm. anything. Mm. That's very, it's sensual and it allows me just to be. Mm -hmm. And then, I love that. you know, because the, even, I mean, honestly, even sex I can drop into achiever mode there too, you know, and then I'm not present to me or her. I'm just trying to create a great experience, you know, yeah. for me or her. And so I think that touch helps me just to be. She's inviting way. you into like a, a space uh -huh. is what it sounds like. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. Mm. What about you, Luke? I'm a words person. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, a big thing for me would be just like a really, really great conversation, like open communication, which is, it's funny, I'm a words person, but I'm not always great at that part of relationships. And so when those moments happen, even if it's like a really hard conversation, when it ends well, it ends lovingly, like that's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. The other is like, whatever this says about me, you know, I'm kind of constantly creating, you know, I've, I host lots of podcasts, I play music, I do lots of things. So words of affirmation about something that I have created, like if I can feel like I have impressed my wife in some way, I'm not sure there's a better feeling in the world. Yeah. And wow. then the last thing I would say is like, I'm not like a huge jazz music aficionado, yep. but there is jazz music that I love, specifically this artist, Ahmad Jamal, who I introduced y'all to this mm -hmm. weekend. Ahmad Jamal, especially like music from the 50s and 60s, his jazz trio stuff, mm. 
I'm not even going to say it's necessarily an aphrodisiac. It just puts me in a really good place. So that's a tone. Yes. Yeah. yeah so uh, that's kind of that. a, that's music that I really, really love, mm, love that, that puts me in a really good place. So, Which I think is interesting is what tone, how are we actually coming to the physical part of a deep emotional relationship? Like what does just put us in a place where we can actually be present to another human being and to ourselves. Mm. Yeah, just to pay attention. I love that one of them is music and the other is words. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's just beautiful because it's so tove of who you are yeah. in the core, Luke, is you take all these crazy words we throw out there and somehow you create them together and put it in a place that it can then reach out and touch other people too. Mm -hmm. And you do it beautifully. Mm. I'm not coming on to you right now. Just know that. <laughs> well, well, it's really I mean, sweet from the person who I have to edit the very least on this show. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's very rarely anything I have to do to change the way you present this Keep taking content, out words though, I say though, remember. <laughs> have I been doing it? I, I haven't noticed. I'll notice when I edit. Okay. Oh, the <laughs> drinking game. We lost the drinking game. No. Ashley, what about you? I was just thinking about the connection piece and Alan tends to be, he's a little more introverted in different things and whatnot. And so there'll be times when he's just quiet and it <laughs> drives me crazy. But like, so when we are able to get into like good, deep conversation, there's a connectedness and an openness. I think I feel that I need to feel like it's, I'm just thinking about the process of like actually being able to have that, that word unfolding, like kind of like that. Okay. And then we can enter into, in that way. And sometimes it's just, it's morning. Mm -hmm. And that's a good time, mm -hmm. you know. Morning can be a good time. Yeah. Well, is, is it thing. seeing him dance? Oh my gosh, that was. Or is it seeing him play? Yeah, like I think he has such a playful spirit. Oh, he does. You know? And just like to see him be that. But we really work really well together. And I think there's something about that, like even doing things alongside each other. We've planted a lot of stuff around our home and done a lot of projects. And there's just something about that. And maybe it's even. I grew up. I've. I think I've mentioned this before, but I grew up on a dairy farm. And so my parents did a lot of things together. Mm. And so our it's a very like just comforting thing to be alongside someone creating something and then to come together. Like there's just yeah. these different, it feels very layered, I guess, mm -hmm. as I'm thinking about it. You know, it's not like building connection. I think I'm, I'm a, or I identify as an Enneagram 7, but the intimate or the sexual, mm -hmm. which is all about connection. Yeah. And so I just uh -huh. see that play out more and more and more. Yeah. You know, I think there's a question I think could be coming up for people saying, wow, I don't have anything. I don't, what is my thing? And that might be stirring for people. And this is one of the things I hear all of us talking about is instead of going out to look for something grand, start looking at the grains, mm. like a grain of sand, instead of looking for the beach, let's look for the grain of sands that are in our relationship that are like, oh, my partner really does that well. Can I celebrate that about my partner? And I guarantee you, if you wanted a laundry list of things that are struggles in our relationship, every couple has struggles. Mm -hmm. And that's true. But when I focus on the things that are good in him, I find I nurture and care and carry him in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so it's like I had to choose, can I pick up a grain of truth here? This is true about so when people say to me, like, I don't trust him at all, do you get in a car with him? <laughs> You're going to drive somewhere? Okay, so let's not throw the never or always, because there is an element. You wouldn't get in a car with him if you didn't have even just a grain of trust. And that's something we can build from, mm. because 
every human being is in process. The other thing that's really good. The other thing I was just came to mind is that it's really hard for me to like desire intimate connection if I am not grounding myself. Mm-hmm. If I am feeling like steeped in insecurity or steeped in self-loathing or like any of those feelings, like I'm thinking about people that might say, well, like I'm just never turned on or like I'm not, you know, and I mean, I'm sure there's lots, Becky, you could probably speak to somebody who feels like that. But like I've noticed for me when I'm feeling absent of those feelings, like consistently, I think that's a signal for me now to be engaging in like, where is my inner peace? What is grounding me? How do I actually feel about myself? Are there stories or messages that I need to address that maybe aren't true? You know, mm-hmm. so like one of those stories could be I'm not worthy of intimate connection or I'm not sexy or I'm not desirable. I mean, it could be any of those things. And that's something that like I just cannot put on my partner. Like those are stories I have to address within myself mm-hmm. because when I feel empowered and grounded in my body and I know that I'm lovely and desirable and sexy, regardless of anybody's opinions of me, it really kind of just fuses out of you. I think on some level, like you were just saying, like, regardless of my body shape, like I'm hot, you know, and that is really hot. I was just like looking, I was like, she's so beautiful. You know, I'm like, it's working. (laughs) You kind of know what I'm saying. Like we, I think sometimes I know in my own life, I have put the expectation on my partner. I've did this in my marriage, I think too, like where I wanted to feel desirable and I was putting it on them to make me feel that way. But the truth is me feeling desirable has everything to do with my own perception of myself. And I need to find a way to feel desirable regardless of what I'm getting from the outside world. Mm -hmm. And I think that that in itself is like a massive aphrodisiac for me is realizing the truth about myself and that I'm lovely and deserve to be loved and I can love myself and, you know, receive love from other people and I can give love to other people. And that's been such a journey for me over many, many years of self-discovery that I can't rely or expect somebody else to manifest my inner peace in that way. Like I have to do that work myself. Goddess of your own. Man void. Worth worth void. Goddess of man void plus one man. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I keep thinking of is safety, feeling safe. Ooh, that's good. And when I'm speaking about like the experiences I'm having now, it's because of the safety that has been created and established in our relationship. And I didn't realize how much my own body was used to, like my own nervous system and all these different things were used to just, I don't want to say like not being treated well, but just like, you know, if you talk about family system, when you're used to, like I grew up in a kind of a chaotic family environment, a lot of movement, a lot of things happening. And so you're just like used to this kind of nervous energy of things. And so I would find myself in these situations where that felt normal Mm -hmm. and also certain men that didn't really honor who I was in that. And that also felt normal. Mm -hmm. Like it just was destructive on many levels, but it took time for me to start to, I think I shared this in the first season about how like, as I did my own work, like the men that I was seeing got like better and better quality over time Mm. (laughs) as I like started to believe in my own self-worth. But there's also this layer of feeling safe. And I think that was one thing that really attracted me to Alan was like his presence of safety. Mm. And what was really interesting was that I do believe there are certain things that you can 
like you need to do this work on your own and some things that can only really happen in relationship because you kind of need to bump against someone. Mm-hmm. And so safety was one of those things where like his calm presence allowed me to kind of start to settle in mm-hmm. and then all this shit came up. And so just like mm-hmm. the first few years of our relationship was me working through a lot of that stuff and just learning that I could really rest here. And it's been a process. And I think like I feel incredibly grateful for that because it's mm. it's helped heal my body. Yeah. Like my body doesn't have like mm-hmm. a continuous vibration of wow. intensity that I had at one time that was I think a lot of little T traumas. Well it's yeah. not it was yeah. your body's not in fight or flight. Right. Yeah. You can right. actually bring yourself yeah. into And I just think about people listening and when you're like in intimate situations or dating and just, just I think as we're talking about listening to your body, it's even that. Like mm-hmm. paying attention to like do I feel safe in this situation? Like just noticing yeah. what feels normal, what feels safe. And mm-hmm. and that's a, also a journey. Yeah, things, it is a journey. It is a journey. Becky, I would love, you just mentioned little T traumas. And there was some language that you've used throughout the show, but specifically this weekend that like I've become familiar with that you've introduced me to. And that is the big T, little T trauma and the window of tolerance. Can you talk about that a little bit and what that means and how it plays into this conversation? Yeah. And I want to reference Janina Fisher. One of the things that we all have is a window of tolerance. And the window of tolerance is kind of like I'm holding my arms up parallel, like, and they're not touching. So I'm making a space here. So that means we have room in this window of tolerance to move in and through the emotions of like a regular day. Oh, I stubbed my toe. That hurt. And being able to name that. Oh, I forgot. I left my phone at the grocery store. I've got to go back. So it's like I can function in a way that is with my prefrontal cortex online, helping me make a wise decision with what is actually just come in versus, okay, I stubbed my toe. Stupid me. Why do I keep running into that bedpost? And it's like, that means that I'm out of my window of tolerance to have such a huge response to something. Mm. I left my phone. What an idiot I am. I can't believe I did that again. Mm. And to become in a place where I suddenly go into this fight or flight, Mm. I'm out of my window of tolerance. You left your phone. Oh, guess what? How many times have I left the house without my mask here recently? And I have to go back and get a mask. And I'm saying that's a natural element of riding up and down in your window of tolerance. Oh, okay. Logically, I can go, I'm in a pandemic now. I haven't learned this yet, you know? Or, oh, I left my phone. That's going to happen occasionally. So when we can't have what I would call, we have a distressed response to something that is over the top or outside the normal of what would be a logical response, that's a learned response. And that's because of our window of tolerance. Now, how we build our window of tolerance is through attunement. Who was attuned to us when we were a young child and we had all 100% needs. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that how parents attuned to us or caregivers attuned to us builds our window of tolerance. Now, I can immediately tell you there are parents that go, are going, oh my God, am I, kill- am I destroying my kids? Do my kids have a good window of tolerance? And the science shows, which I think is so fascinating, and this is Janina Fisher, thank God for this woman, but we only have to get it right as parents 50% of the time to help children build healthy mm. attachment and then also have tolerating windows of tolerance so that when something happens, fight or flight is not the enemy either. It should make us curious. Like, wait, why did I get so angry at losing my phone? 
I'm using that as an illustration because mm-hmm. I literally did that just recently, left my phone someplace that I had to drive 20 miles back to get. And I remember thinking on the way there, I was just like, I was hanging and clutching onto the, I've got to get there, I've got to get there. And nowadays our phones have more in them. And it yeah. was like, so there was something in me. And as I was driving there, what I was, I was able to calm down enough, move out of my fight or flight, bring myself back into my window of tolerance. And what I said to myself is, oh, worst case scenario, you erase the phone. Oh, I'm okay. I felt my shoulders go down. And I just began to ask myself, I kind of asked myself, I was like, where is that huge distressed part coming from? And as I'm driving, all of a sudden I have this memory as a child of a time when I had my dad's Bible because he was a pastor. I had my dad's Bible and I left it at a church he was guest speaking at. And my dad had to drive to another town. I don't know how far away it was, but he was so upset. So I let, there was like that little part of me Mm. that was like, my dad probably responded, was really pissed and just, I mean, that, which is a natural response. He was responding to something that was inconvenient and he's a pastor. This is his work tool. And I had was so proud to get to carry it, but I laid it down Mm. and he had to go back and get it. And so I felt shame. And so my shame sent me into my fight or flight. And I was able to just, in that memory, I just in that moment went, oh, you sweet little girl, I bet you were distracted by a kitten. (laughs) I mean, I probably was. I don't know what I was distracted by, but there was this moment that I just cared for myself and I went, oh, we're going to be okay. Even if the phone's not there when I get there, I'm going to be okay. I can take care of myself and I can take care of this wounded part so I don't have to respond in that way. So the window of tolerance is something, when we're outside the window of tolerance, we go into hyperarousal, which is fight or flight, or we will go into hypoarousal, which is we freeze. Paralyzed. We're just, we can't move. And that's because our prefrontal cortex, those, some of these things are formed before our prefrontal cortex is even developed. So we aren't coming online with logic and reason. Well, and what's sounding encouraging is that you can actually expand your window of tolerance. Absolutely. Yeah. As we care for ourselves, mm-hmm. as we start to notice those things, I use these three ends all the time. Can we start to notice when we're in fight or flight? Can we name it? And then in order to nurture ourselves, can we go, okay, can I bring myself back here and go, what do I really need right now? Mm. And what I needed, that little girl in me, that little part, that memory just needed to be honored, cared for. And it was like, okay. I'm that sweet little girl. Mm. And I had grace for me. I had compassion for me. I just don't think we heal without compassion Mm. and curiosity. Can I share a practice that's been really helpful for Mm -hmm. me in terms of doing that? And you did it in your story. But I got this from Pete Holmes, this comedian that's just so brilliant and funny and also so deep. But he says, when I get into places of self-loathing, shame, I imagine that I'm watching myself as a character on a TV show that I really like. And then I go, oh, I like that character. Mm -hmm. He's quirky. (laughs) He's funny. He was telling the story that he was a vegetarian for a while. Maybe he still is. but And then he got drunk one night and just ate two chicken quesadillas, you know? (laughs) And then the next day he just felt so bad, like, oh, I'm a loser. And so when you said, oh, the little girl was distracted, oh, you you said to yourself, you were just distracted by a kitten. Mm. So part of attunement is actually detachment as well. Detaching. Healthy detachment. No, really. Like like Uh there's like the Buddhist principles. 
I'm not saying disengagement, but it's actually detaching from your swirling mind, your monkey mm-hmm. mind. That's just, I'm so terrible. I'm so terrible. I ate a chicken quesadilla. I'm a vegetarian, you know, mm-hmm. it's being able to observe yourself and you're going to have a lot more compassion for yourself because if you are watching this show and you love this character and the reason why you love this character is because they're imperfect. You would hate the character if they never, even if they forgot their phone mm-hmm. and then had this, you know, perfectly sublime response. <laughs> oh, I forgot my phone, but I am okay at all times. <laughs> no, That's that not an fight or character. flight is actually really, it was good for me because I got to release gave something, you I think. Too. So like, yeah. imagine you're watching yourself on TV mm-hmm. and you like that character. She's awesome. She's funny. Mm-hmm. She's quirky. And, and forgetful at times. Forgetful at times and that's okay. And that's one of the reasons why you like her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's helpful for me. Hmm. I appreciate that story. Like the explaining the window of tolerance piece mm-hmm. because and the fact that it can change because I just had a recent experience and I'm thinking about like the detachment piece Steve anger is something in my family that was used a lot and I would notice in my adult self like if someone were to be angry in a situation like my brain would just fritz mm-hmm. like I would just I would lose response like freeze moment mm-hmm. you know and it was it kind of freaked me out because it was like I I don't know how to even like where do I go from here and how do I respond and and so working through that, and it is such a process, I'm still in it, but I had a recent experience with my dad back home. He got so angry about something that I had said, and it was this really interesting experience because I felt myself like observe and detach and just watch him have his moment. And I was like, I'm just going to go. Like it was that like notice, name, and then what do I need? Mm-hmm. Yes. And normally I think I would have stayed and like try to like, debate it out and just get into it and whatever. And instead I was like, I'm just going to take the coffee that I just made because this is pre-coffee conversation mm-hmm. and just go back upstairs. Like, and it was just this moment of like, I was so, I was so disappointed by the conversation, mm-hmm. but I was also able to stop and say like, man, I've actually made movement here. Mm-hmm. This is a moment like things have changed for me and I can celebrate that even if I am disappointed in the interaction itself. And so just having those moments Especially with the person who was had established that pain in my life, mm-hmm. you know. That's so great, actually. So, wow. Yeah, but and it's it, mindfulness, yeah. though. Yeah, it's, it's taken a lot of it can work. You yeah, know, like, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it. But and people, that is not a weak thing to walk away. Yeah, that was you bringing yourself back into the window yeah. of tolerance. That was you using your adult resource self, going, "Oh, I have another option here. Huh? I can continue down that path of anger." You, I'll leave the anger here. I'll walk away. In case there's anybody that's listening that might have a similar experience to me, I tend to be pretty, I think, like even keeled in some ways, especially when like I tend to de-escalate if there's like tension in front of me. I definitely have big emotions and I feel those deeply, but like <laughs> I, I know. But, really? Yeah. yeah. You sure? So like when we're talking about fight or flight, the mm-hmm. reason why I'm bringing this up is that I discovered you know, post my divorce, that there is a spot in my body kind of where my upper left leg kind of meets my pelvis. Mm -hmm. It's like in that seam. And anytime I feel a lot of tension there, you know, it's like another way to kind of get into Mm -hmm. the psoas muscle from the front. I'd rub a lacrosse ball over it. And as soon as I would touch it, my body would flood with stress hormones. Mm -hmm. I would be in tremendous pain and I would be kind of flooded with some memories 
And I would just start crying. It was almost like an involuntary response to just touch on a certain spot mm-hmm. in my body. Mm-hmm. You know, like it wasn't like I watched something or somebody said something. You had to touch this spot. Mm-hmm. And it gave me trouble for, well, I should probably reframe that. It was speaking to me <laughs> for a couple years. And when I moved to Nashville, I found this massage therapist that was recommended through a friend. And I laid on her table and she was noticing, you know, wow, your hips are incredibly tight, you know, and we're kind of talking through it. And then she gets to that spot and she felt my fascia, which is like the layer above the muscle under the skin, completely lock up. And she calls it your body armor, you know, it's just your body armor is protecting you right here. And she just like put her hand on my leg and said, is there anything that would be helpful for you to share? You don't have to share it, but is there anything you need to talk about, you know? And it was the first time when she did that, I realized I had never asked myself that question. And she helped increase my window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. Kind of what you did for yourself, she mirrored to me. And even with all the body work I'd been doing and the self-discovery. It's about care. Yeah. And she cared for me and she helped me understand I can care for myself. And, you know, Long story short, what's really beautiful is the partner I'm with now who's so lovely. After being in relationship with him and having a lot of safety, I was thinking about when you were talking about Alan, that spot has not given me any trouble. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, you know, being with somebody that I felt really cared for and felt a lot of safety with kind of helped me be able to address the big T trauma, which I'm sure you still have to talk about, but in my life that made that spot on my body incredibly tense. And it was nothing else would bring that up except the touch of that spot in my body. And I'm grateful for my body for communicating with me. But I remember just like trying to rub it out on a lacrosse ball, watching television and bawling and then getting angry Mm -hmm. that it just wouldn't move, Yeah, you know? And what it needed was just for me to ask, like, Mm -hmm. is there something you need to discover or remember or let go of or talk about or, I mean... And I just am so grateful for her that she helped mirror that to me. And I just thought that might be a good story to share. I think it's probably obvious to most people, but just to be as intentional and explicit as we can to talk about why this, the window of tolerance, the big T, little T trauma, how this connects to the greater conversation that we're having about Mm -hmm. sexuality and spirituality. And that is to say simply that we have different capacities Mm -hmm. for handling trauma And no matter who you are, you are bringing whatever that is, big T, little T trauma, you are bringing that into both the bedroom and into your spiritual life. Those things are absolutely a part of that. So I would love to spend the last couple minutes just maybe getting into that if we can. Wow. Why why this matters in this this conversation. Why are we talking about the window of tolerance? Because when we're out of the window of tolerance, what happens is we're not in our, uh, what I would call our adult resourced self. Mm. So we're in our wounded self. Mm. And I want to say, especially why this matters in the arena of sexuality and spirituality. And I want to say specific, the sexual act when people have experienced sexual trauma and so many people say, well, mine wasn't this bad because it didn't involve, you know, but we start comparing. And what I want to say is sexual trauma doesn't have degrees. I mean, there, yes, there are degrees of it, But sexual trauma is sexual trauma to the physical body. Even if it was covert, 
which means it wasn't, maybe somebody didn't touch you, but maybe somebody had you stand naked so they could dry you off with a towel, a dad inappropriately looking at his daughter's developing body and feeling invaded. And in that sense, there's like, you don't, what it is, is that you don't have a choice or a voice and that's trauma. And that doesn't heal unless we can actually come present to it and have compassion for notice it, name it and nurture it. Notice I mean, you're it, right. name it. And can we, what nurturance is needed here? And for some, it may be EMDR for others. It may be plant, um, medicine. plant medicine for others. It could be talk therapy. There's so many different, there's some mat, there's so many things that can be combination, but we are wounded in community. Mm. I want to say in whatever our communities are, we're wounded mm. and there is not safety and it creates big T, little T trauma. And the reason it's so very important is the only way we're going to heal is actually in community and that takes vulnerability mm-hmm. and risk mm-hmm. and it's i have to be honest it's dangerous right now because and why does this matter spiritually because i don't think we have that many spiritual leaders that are dealing with their own trauma correct and therefore they're creating systems that make it easy for them to be in this place of authority and I'm going to speak, a lot of it is patriarchal authority, telling people what is healthy, that it's not even integrated in their own lives and their own practices. Because if it was, here's what I want to say, we wouldn't have these leaders fall, as we say, falling. No, I don't know any leader out there that is above trauma. Or continuing to cause blatant harm well, and, and excusing themselves. Well, but, the, what, yeah. but I want to say the reason they're continuing to cause blatant harm is because they're living in a system mm-hmm. that doesn't allow them to have any response but the answer. Yeah. That's where I'm saying if we boil trauma down to something that we have to, I have to cut that out of my life. I have to push it over here and I have to conquer this. And I can't tell you how many times people say, I have to just conquer my addiction to pornography. I have to conquer, you know, my addiction to chewing tobacco or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> what if we befriended that in a way that went, oh, you're human. Okay, you're human. The word safety is so huge to me right now because I'm like, we don't heal in places we don't feel safe. That's why people leave. We need safety. And I think a lot of times what brings, I can't remember who said this. Maybe it was Phil Tickle said this, but it's churches are filled. That's my Southern accent. Sorry. (laughs) Churches are filled with wounded people looking for a place to belong. I mean, I would say every building I was is say, filled. Yeah. Coffee shops are yeah. filled. Yeah, they are. But yeah. I think when you put it in a spiritual context, yeah. my yeah. concern is we have way too many formulas. Yeah. And honestly, we don't have a lot of framework for helping people learn how to hold in responsible ways the ways in which they've been wounded so that they can in turn walk with others. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. 
All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. That's also helpful for me to realize, like, I don't get to put blame on the religious space in which I grew up. It's just a combination of factors of like my particular wiring and the particular messaging and my ability to process that information and compare it to the experience that I had of the world. Those are where the shame came from. That's where my, what I would have to call trauma came from. And it doesn't necessarily look the same for every person just because they grew up in a similar environment. And I think that's really freeing actually. 